Well, back when I was in college in the early 80s, I helped to start a Christian fraternity called Bucks, and it stands for, uh, the Greek letters were Beta Upsilon Chi, which stood for Brothers Under Christ. And we wanted to establish a fraternity that would be a counterculture to the uh, Greek system that was at the University of Texas at Austin. And so we did a lot of things that were different than traditional fraternities. Rather than having Hell Week, where the actives would kind of um, haze the pledges and various things like that, we would have Heaven Week, where the actives would serve the pledges. And, and, you know, as all these other people were running around trying to hide, they were like, gosh, we wish we were in your group. And, uh, and then we would have these uh, parties. And rather than some of the beer busts that you, you hear about in college, these were alcohol-free parties. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, that sounds like a pretty lame college party, uh, but it was actually fun. In fact, it was so fun that the, uh, a lot of the secular sororities had a waiting list to have mixers with bucks because they said, uh, the parties are fun, we don't worry about drunken frat boys pawing on us all night, and uh, we would do them as outreaches as well. So we would have an open party uh, twice a year in the student union at the UT campus, and People would come into the student union, they'd walk by, they'd see this party going on, they'd kind of poke their head in, and we'd say, come on in, it's an open party. And there were these three guys one night who came uh, blowing through the door, and they ran over to the punch, and they just started down in cup after cup (laughs) as they're watching everybody dancing and having a good time. And I walked over to them, I said, you guys like the punch? And they go, man, it's great, what's in it? And I said, well, there's Sprite and uh, juice. And one guy interrupts me and goes, yeah, yeah, dude, what's in it? And he points to everybody. I said, oh, they're filled with the spirit. He goes, yeah, what spirit's in the bun? <laughs> you know? And I said, oh, no, 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 it's the Holy Spirit. Well, he spit his punch out. And, and he looks at me and he goes, dude, what are you talking about? And uh, I said, let's go outside where it's not as loud. We can hear each other. And I waved over a couple of the other Uh, guys. And we went outside and we started talking. And I told him uh, what it meant to be a believer. Well, at that moment, he shuts the conversation down. And he goes, dude, if I can't get wasted, I'm wasting my time. We are out of here. And uh, he got up to leave, but his two friends said, we want to stay. And so he just, okay. And he walked away. But those other two men stayed and they became believers in Christ. And we've talked about uh, last week, how we're to look for opportunities. We're to, we're to seek those opportunities that God may give to us to be a witness for him. And as we're turning back in our Bible to Ephesians chapter 5 today, as we're looking at this passage that picks up in Ephesians five, eighteen through 21, we're going to continue talking about the opportunities God has given us, as well as what our lives are to look like as Christians, what it is that is to control us. It says here in Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, earlier in Ephesians, we saw there's this contrast. Uh, The contrast of darkness with light, as we've been talking about. And now there's yet again another contrast. He says, uh, being controlled by the Spirit versus being controlled by something in the world like that of alcohol. Which is why verse 18 says, and do not get drunk with wine. Now, as you read that, it's clear God says, don't get drunk. But what's not clear to a lot of Christians is, what does it mean about drinking in general? In fact, that's one of the questions I'm asked all the time. As a believer, is it okay to drink? 
And as we look at what's here, it doesn't say that drinking is wrong. Uh, now, you may come out of a tradition where you were told, well, drinking that fire water is going to lead to the lake of fire, and you're going to go to hell, right? Anybody here come out of a background? Don't raise your hands. But, uh, and others of us come out of a, a background on the other end where we say there was, there was a beer and, and wine in church. Uh, you go to some services, and you have real wine. Uh, for communion. Uh, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I remember as an altar boy being at the men's club picnic, and every year Father Mills would tap the beer keg, and he'd draw the first beer, you know, and that was the picnic was underway. And so some of y'all are are saying, you know, we're we're in these traditions where um, there's two sides, and, and, and what are we supposed to do? And, and what happens is believers sometimes come in and we begin to proof text, right? I, I hear Christians tell me, well, you know, uh, Jesus drank, drank wine. In fact, his first miracle was turning water into wine. And then uh, another brother or sister will say, yeah, well, uh, that was a different proof than what we have today and alcohol today. And they're, they're proof texting each other in various ways. And when, what we're looking at here, when it comes to, to alcohol, others will say, oh, and don't miss the medicinal use, right? I mean, in fact, uh, Paul told a young pastor, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.23, he said, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, it seems that, that some people are a little sicker than others, right? Uh, the, the, <laughs> This was the case with a woman whose husband uh, had a chronic cough, and he was always using uh, cough syrup. Now, the man and the woman were teetotalers. They were uh, devout, non-drinkers, no alcohol in the house, and uh, this man eventually passed away. And as the the woman was getting around to uh, cleaning out his workshop and settling the affairs, she was surprised when she found a bottle of whiskey in his workshop. Now, she thought, well, one of his friends must have brought that over and left it here by accident. And so she went to uncork it and pour it out. And as she was doing so, she was curious. And, and she thought, well, you know, I wonder what it tastes like. And so she took a little sip of it. And as she did so, she said, that, that's surprising. This tastes just like the cough syrup my husband took every night uh, before going to bed. Now, when it comes to drinking and medicinal use, uh, my doctorate is a doctorate in ministry. It's a D-min, which stands for doesn't mean anything when it comes to medical advice. Uh, Talk to an MD, uh, not me. If your medical doctor has told you uh, to drink a little wine or something for a health reason, then then do what your doctor has told you. Just make sure you're not over-medicating yourself. Now, when it comes to what the scripture says, I told you that it doesn't say in and of itself that drinking is bad. Nowhere in the Bible uh, is that prohibition. But just because, now if you're a Nazarite and you've taken a vow from the womb never to touch alcohol, that's in there. But in terms of the average person, uh, just because it is allowed, it doesn't mean it's something we should necessarily do. We find passages in the Bible like 1 Corinthians 10, 23. And there it says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. What what it means is just because we have the liberty to do something doesn't mean it's necessarily profitable. Uh, You can uh, have that liberty, but you may give it up. Uh, People sometimes ask me, well, pastor, what do you do? And I'll tell you that my personal practice 
is not to drink. It doesn't mean I've never had a drink in my life. I have. I've been in uh, places where uh, you have no choice. It may be the only drink on the table. I've been at state dinners where there is something and you have to do a toast. I've been in cultures where that is what is served with your meal. And so I'm not one of those people that goes, oh, I can't touch that, you know. Uh, when I'm at a, a party on our block and people are bringing over their coolers of beer, you know, and they're setting up the buffet in my driveway, I don't go, get that stuff out of my, you know. But they know I'm not going to drink. And it's not because uh, I don't personally believe it's wrong in and of itself, but I don't drink for this reason. There are others who believe it is wrong. There are Christians who say you're not to do that. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 tells us that he had liberties like eating the meat sacrificed to idols in that day. And he said, I've given up my personal liberty for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of a weaker brother who might stumble. And for me, giving up uh, a liberty like that is nothing when it comes to removing something that may become a hindrance to the gospel. I would rather give up something uh, than lose the opportunity to lead somebody to the Lord or to compromise the testimony of the church in which I serve. Now, you may be sitting here saying, well, Roger, I'm not a pastor, so that doesn't apply to me. Uh, You are a believer in Christ, most of you here. And if you are a believer, as we talked about last time, people are always watching you. And you may be in a situation where by exercising a liberty you have, such as drinking, uh, you could cause another to stumble. It may be as a parent that your child is watching you and they say, well, if mom and dad are going to drink, it must be okay. And you may be mature enough and able to understand limits in various things where your child may not. And so you have to ask yourself, if you come from an alcoholic family, uh, certainly there's a propensity that you could fall into an addictive behavior. And it's best that you not even uh, get into that potential. Now, as I mentioned kids, let me just say this. If you're here and you're under the legal age of drinking, God's will for you is that you don't drink. Because the Bible tells us very clearly, it says we are to obey civil authority. And so what that means is God says there is a law in place and you should obey that civil law. So if you're underage and you're saying, well, should I be drinking? God says no. Now, in terms of those who do drink uh, and have that freedom, we still see there are limits. In verse 8, it says, do not be drunk. So God says, even as you partake of alcohol, uh, there are limits to it. Now, you may be saying, well, what is drunk? Is that the legal definition of uh, driving while intoxicated, a DWI, where it's .08? Well, uh, others will tell you at .04, you're, you're medically impaired, and there are other states that have lower limits. So, so where do we go? Where, what is the Bible actually saying here? Well, as we look at what God says, when he says, do not be drunk with wine, he says that is dissipation. Uh, Some versions say it's debauchery. The the Greek word that is used literally means that which is wayward or wasteful. So it means it draws you off the path, that which is wayward or wasteful. It's the word that was used in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. You'll recall there was this young man who went to his father and said, give me my inheritance. I want to go and live a life like the world says. He went out, he was drinking, he was partying, and he ultimately became destitute. He hit rock bottom, he had squandered all his resources. Uh, This idea of being wasteful. Uh, We talk about somebody who's drunk as being wasted, so it's a a good application of the word here. But in terms of um, alcohol and the waste that comes with it, think, think through 
Uh, remember, the Bible said all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Uh, I, I hear people all the time say, well, you know, uh, alcohol are those empty calories that, that go right to my waist, right? Uh, those those uh, beer bellies, those Budweiser tumors that, that some people uh, have. They say this is wasted calories. Um, there are other forms of waste. You can think in terms of the money you could have spent on something that may be more lasting. Uh, remember, it said all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now, I'm not saying you should never go out and enjoy a, a, a nice glass of wine with a meal if, if that's what you enjoy doing. Again, you have to ask yourself, is, uh, as something that we've been entrusted with, a stewardship of resources, is it, is it something that you know, is, is the best investment? Other times we can think easily of the waste that comes from the, the human uh, tragedy. There are people who are alcoholics that become disabled, that families are not fed because they're squandering all the resources. Uh, there are DWIs where people are injured in accidents. In America alone, on average, 27 people are killed every single day in our country because of alcohol. Every two minutes, People are injured on the roads in America because of alcohol. So this idea of wasteward, uh, wayward or wasteful um, behavior certainly is tied to alcohol. And I just mentioned our testimony that I as a pastor for the sake of the gospel will set aside my liberty. We read in verses 15 and 17 last week, Therefore be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So this idea of walking through life as we talked about, the way that we uh, live for the Lord. Have you ever seen somebody who's drunk? How did you know they were drunk? Were they, were they wearing a sign that said, I'm, I'm lit, I'm wasted, I've, I've tied one on? Or, or was it because of the way they were walking? Or, or trying to walk, right? They're kind of stumbling around. And then you said, are you okay? And I'm okay. And, you know, their speech is slurred and you're talking to them. So their walk and their talk is affected. And, and it's also the way they think. You ever seen those people that suddenly become bulletproof and they can whip the world? You know, when I was a cop, I, I dealt with these people all the time. We'd get called out and, hey, this, this man or woman is drunk, and you'd come up to deal with them, and they'd you know, take you out. And they they're, looked like an arthritic turtle, right? They're kind of, uh, they're bobbing and weaving. You haven't even, you know, hey, just calm down. I'm a, and they're swinging wildly. And, you know, alcohol affects us. It controls us. And, and, and the reason Paul uses this illustration here, he's not saying that drinking in and of itself is wrong. It's a personal decision. And I know many men and women who are mature and handle alcohol well, and it's not an issue. But what he's doing is giving us this contrast. He says there's light and there's darkness. And he says there are people who are under the control of an influence like alcohol. It affects their walk, their talk, their, their thinking, how they live. And he says this is a, a negative. Now, it's not just alcohol. You'll recall that back in Ephesians 5, 3, uh, there we, we saw many other things that can control our life. Remember pornea, the Greek word that was there. And Michael talked about pornography and the sexual addiction. Uh, you can be addicted to alcohol or drugs or even food. There are various things that can control us. Anger, as we talked about in Ephesians 4. And so when it comes to our life, the question this morning is, who's in control of your life? 
Or what is in control of your life? Have you turned over control of your life to Christ? If you picture your heart as being a throne and, uh, and you think about who's sitting on the throne, who's ruling and controlling your life, is it you as an individual? Is it some outside substance? Or is it the Lord where you've invited God into your life and you've said, you're the Lord of my life, you're the king on the throne? And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says that we are indwelt, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Lord and the Spirit of God indwells you? And so as you think in terms of your life, who or what is in control of you? You saw on the, I've titled my sermon, Are You Christ Controlled or Cruise Controlled? Uh, Many of you have used a cruise control in a car. It's a great invention, isn't it? You're going to go on a long trip, you get in the car, you're on the highway, you know you're on this road for a while, you reach over, you set the cruise control, and you go, life is good. You recline your seat, look, sit back, close your eyes, and go to sleep, right? <laughs> Car's on autopilot, no, don't do that. When you set the cruise control on your car, what you do is you stay involved, right? Many of us are are saying, okay, well, the the speed is taken care of, but I still have to steer the car. I have to uh, stay attentive. Sometimes the car's not going fast enough, so you stomp on the gas or you kind of bump up the cruise control to go faster. Uh, You see something ahead, uh, and and so you go, i got to brake. I've got to take over control of the car. So this idea of uh, a cruise control is not a a perfect picture for us as Christians uh, because we we are still involved. And unfortunately, as Christians, I think many of us stay too involved when it comes to turning our life over to Christ, right? We say, Christ is in control of my life. But what we mean by that is like the bumper stickers I've seen. God is my co-pilot. No, friends, he's the pilot. He's the navigator. He should have full and complete control of your life. But what we do is we say, uh, I'm flying the plane, I'm in charge, and I let God just kind of be in the, the side seat here, and every now and then I let him handle the plane. And most often, we let him be in control when things are good, when things are going along fine. But when there's trouble ahead, turbulence is coming, we see something that's going to be a problem, that's when we say, okay, I'm grabbing the wheel, I'm in control again. I've got a friend who's a, a Marine, well, he was a Marine fighter pilot. He flies commercial jets now. And he flew F-18s off aircraft carriers. And so uh, Marine and uh, Naval and any carrier pilot, I know we have a bunch of Air Force here, and y'all are awesome too, but I'm talking about aircraft carrier guys, right? Because they, they have this swagger about them. They're saying we are the best of the best. We are the the people who can land on a tossing postage stamp in the middle of the ocean. You know, there's waves and visibility's low and all these factors. And so my friend who's this uh, F-18 fighter pilot, he would talk about coming in to land on the, on the carrier. And, and you know, I've, I've learned the whole process where they, they come in, they call the ball, they're, they're, they're the glide slope, and there's the flight control officer on the deck who's, who's talking you in, and he can say you're not right, and he waves you off. And there's all kinds of things that can happen. And when, when things are really dicey, when, when the ship is tossing, when the weather is bad, you would think at that moment you want your, your pilot in control, right? You want the, the, the guy who has honed his skills. He's the top gun you know, type of guy, and he's in control. But when conditions are at their worst, they actually turn control of the plane over to the ship. 
There, there's something called an automatic carrier landing system. And what the pilot does is they will come in, they'll line up, they'll, get, they'll call the ball, the flight control officer will tell them. It's, it's almost, you know, the sci-fi tractor beam that can bring the plane in and actually land it. And so they literally turn control of the plane over. And now that he's a commercial pilot, he tells me there are systems like that in the, the big jumbo jets as well. They, they have all these different standards, and when visibility is below 1,800 feet, uh, the commercial pilots turn control of the plane over to the systems. Now, they're, they're always told somebody has to be flying the plane. They're always ready. But they, they cede control of the plane again, and it will actually land the planes for them. And that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? When, when things are at their worst, our natural inclination is to say, this is when I need to be in control. And what God's telling us is he should be in control of our lives at all times, especially when things are tough, when we can't see the road ahead, when, when life is hard and, and we're wondering, what's, how's this going to turn out? Do we, do we trust that God has the master plan? And God is the master and the Lord of our life who is going to take us through the storm. Now, when it comes to God having control of our life, we do this, we're told, by being filled by the Spirit. I want to illustrate for you uh, what that means. So if you think of your life as being like this glove, you know, it's kind of a little, little wimpy, I'll pump you up, we all need a little something. But if our life is like this, when it comes to being filled by the Spirit, the, the image that we have is suddenly we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Remember that? And now God has control of our life. And he can use us. And he can, he can do anything he wants when he's uh, in control and filling us. Now, as we read about being filled here, as Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, the form of the Greek verb here is in the second person plural present passive imperative. Now, let me tell you what all that means. Because when it says it's in the second person plural, um, most of us know, well, that's, that means you. Or here in Texas, that means y'all. All y'all. Second person plural means he's talking to all of us. He says this applies to all who are believers. Now, when it's an imperative, that's a fancy way of saying it's a command to obey. He says, y'all need to do this. And then the present tense means it's to be present right now in our life. It's an ongoing action. A literal translation of the verb here is be being kept filled. Be being kept filled. And so what it's saying is it's not a one-time event, but it's to be continuous. And the fact that it's in the passive form means that God is the one doing it. You see, what our job is is not to get in the way. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us, do not quench the spirit. So what I want you to do is think in terms of your life being like these glasses. These are just simple glasses with water. And when we come to Christ, when we become a believer, what we're told is the Holy Spirit indwells us. Do you remember in Ephesians 1, uh, 1 we read that Christ was the one who, God the Father planned our salvation. Then we saw Jesus Christ provided our salvation, and then we saw the Holy Spirit sealed us. It said he is the down payment, the pledge. The, the Greek word used is arabon, and arabon literally means uh, a down payment. So what the Bible says is when we became a believer, uh, the Holy Spirit indwelt us. 
he came into our life. He filled us. So you think in terms of your life, you've, you now have the Holy Spirit in you. But remember, this is to be a present, continuous, ongoing action. God didn't say it's a one and done. I came into your life and I'm done with you. What he said is, do not quench the spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. So God has a desire to continue to fill and empower us. And as he's doing so, as he comes along, some of us block God's work in our life. We, we sin. We uh, neglect our time with him. We don't get in his word where he speaks to us. We don't talk to him in prayer. So God wants to come along and he says we're to have this be being filled, this continuous ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. But some of us are saying, no, I'm quenching, I'm blocking God's work. And so what happens in our lives is you look at these two different glasses. If, if we kept filling this other one continuously with the Holy Spirit, what would happen? You would see how, how that, grass, that glass would get darker and darker while that one simply remains as it is. And that's what happens in some of our lives. Some of us have had that initial filling of the Holy Spirit, but we wonder why we're weak. We wonder why our walk struggles. And the reason is, is because uh, we're blocking God's continuous filling. He wants to continue to empower, to strengthen us. Now, as you look in terms of your life, uh, would you say that you're continually being filled? There, there was a man who went to a tent revival, one of these old-fashioned tent revivals. And he was there, and uh, the you know, great sermon, and the pastor at the end does an altar call and says, if you want to receive the Lord, if you want God in your life, if you want the Holy Spirit to come in and help you live, uh, come forward. So this man's in the back, and he jumps up, and he comes running down the aisle, and he goes, fill me, Jesus, fill me. You know, he's running up. He, he prays. He receives the Lord. Um, he gets in the car with his wife. They're driving home, and he goes, honey, I am a changed man. I'm different. God's in me. I'm going to be different. Well, he gets up the next morning, and it's like nothing had changed. Nothing happened. He, he goes about his day living just like he did before, and his wife says, well, you know, he's brand new in his walk. He's, he's still growing. He's got to learn. And he says, honey, we need to go back to that revival tonight. And so they show back up. The preacher gives another message, altar call at the end. Guy comes running down the aisle again. Fill me, Jesus. I need to be filled. And so he prays with the pastor. And Well, this happens night after night after night. Every night the man comes forward, says, fill me, Jesus. He prays. Uh, he, he goes home and he gets up and life is just like it has always been. Well, after about a week of this, they're at the revival again and uh, the altar call comes at the end and the pastor says, is there anybody here who needs to be filled with the Lord? And man jumps up. He's running down the aisle screaming, fill me, Jesus. And, and his wife stands up and says, don't do it, Lord. He leaks. You know, I wonder how many of us leak. The, the Bible describes us as being these earthen pots, literally clay pots. And, you know, the problem with, the, with clay pots is they crack easily. Have you ever thought about the fact we're all cracked pots? And, and, and so we leak, right? And so we have this filling of the Lord in our life, but, but we're leaking. Do you know how you keep a cracked pot filled? The best way to keep a crack pot filled, obviously, is to try to seal the crack. But uh, another part of that is keeping more coming in than is coming out. And so as you think about this picture of being filled, we're to be under this, this constantly running spigot of the Holy Spirit filling us. 
When you come to church on Sunday, you get filled. When you read his word, you're getting filled. When you spend time in fellowship and communion with God praying, you're getting filled. When you're with other believers who are strengthening and encouraging, you're getting filled. And so again, some of us look at our lives and we wonder, why are we so weak? Well, it's because we've been quenching the Spirit's work. We've been sinning or neglecting and blocking God's filling in our life. Paul tells us here, we are to keep being filled. The, the Greek word for being filled is pleiro. Uh, this, this word means, it, it described the sails on a ship where the wind filled them. That picture you saw on the slide and, uh, of one of those masted ships with its sails full. And as the ship was being filled, as the sails were being filled, it would move that ship forward. You remember last week we talked about the Greek word opportunity that literally means toward the port. As it spoke of our opportunity to share the gospel with others and as we live our life as believers, we're to move toward the port. God's ultimate goal of that maturity and that home in heaven that we're headed to and how we're to take others with us. This word playru also has, has a meaning of to permeate something. Have you ever marinated meat? You know how you soak it and you, you let the flavors or your sauce kind of permeate and, and get into the meat? And this is another way this word was used. It means to be filled and for it to permeate. We don't keep God in this little glass in our, in our life and say, well, that's a compartment for God. It says it's to fill us. We talked earlier in Ephesians about letting our, our speech be seasoned with salt, not take my, what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but that idea of salt being a preservative and an enhancer. And so the Spirit wants to fill us. The Bible says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As you look at your life, are you being filled with the Spirit? Is it permeating your life? Is it overflowing? Uh, if you have more coming in than going out, you're going to overflow. And this is what Paul is calling on us to do here. Um, as he talks about our speech, he says we're to, in verses 19 through 21, he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, as you read that, maybe you're, you're picturing something like a musical. You know, musicals? Um, here's a hint. My wife loves them, but I'm not good company at musicals because I'll sit there and just go... You know, who, who goes through life and goes, how are you? I'm fine. You know, I mean, pe people just don't do that, right? And I know, that's, that's why you don't go to musicals with me. Um, but as we're reading this, Paul's talking about people say, oh, are we to be singing songs and back and forth with each other? The image here uh, is, again, that overflow in our life that comes out. Because he says, uh, as we have this filling of God, verse 19 says, we'll be joyful. People will see that in our life. Verse 20 says, we'll be thankful. Now, notice he's talking about Christian hymns here. You see, in that day, people sang all kinds of songs, just as we hear in our day. And, and you know there is some music that's not very edifying. And so they would sing these hymns, these cultic things honoring pagan gods. And so there's this differentiation because Christians' hymns here, it says in verse 19, exalt the name of Christ. Verse 20 tells us it's the great God whom we serve. Paul reiterates the who and the what. 
of the songs that are sung, he says they're spiritual songs. The, the word used here is solo. Uh, it's where we get our word psalm. In your Bible, you have the book of Psalms. And you may not know this, that was actually the hymn book of the Old Testament. Those are songs that people would sing. And they exalt God. They speak of who he is, his faithfulness, and his deliverance. And so here we have this picture. The word literally means uh, to make music or a melody. And it was, it was used to describe a person who would pluck a harp and accompany uh, the accompaniment of a, a harp in the singing that was done. And so this is the picture here where God says that there is to be this overflow, this outward expression of praise. Now, you don't have to do it necessarily uh, outwardly. If you're somebody who says, well, Roger, I I really don't sing that well. Um, You can do it internally. You can meditate in your mind. You can have a song in your heart. Uh, And the Bible says to make a joyful noise to the Lord. So when you're here worshiping, it's okay to do exactly that, to, to sing heartily and worship the Lord. Now, there may be times where we say it's hard to have joy. Paul acknowledges that. Look at verse 20. He says, We are to always give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. See, Paul says, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of hard things in your life, God says to give thanks. We read that in 1 Thessalonians. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Our Lord. And then right after that is that do not quench the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we're reading that, you may say, well, that's easy for Paul. Paul's one of those preachers. Life was grand. Have you ever read through the New Testament and seen the life of Paul? Paul's life looks like a a wounded deer who's leaving a blood trail through life. As you read about Paul and his life, this is the guy that was shipwrecked and imprisoned and stoned and left for dead. He was beaten with rods. He went through, he went through crisis after crisis. And as Paul is writing these words we're reading right now, do you remember where he is when he's writing this? He's in prison. He's in Rome. He's writing the, this epistle to the Ephesians from a prison in Rome where he's facing death for his faith. Paul's been in prison before. Uh, Paul was the guy in Acts chapter 16 that as you read there, he says, Paul and Silas, his traveling companion, were in a prison in Philippi. They had been beaten. They had been thrown in jail. And as they're sitting there, they weren't wallowing in despair. Instead, we read they were singing songs. And those songs, God ultimately brought about deliverance. There was an earthquake. You'll remember the Philippian jailer came, thought everybody had run away. He was going to kill himself. Paul said, don't do it. We're still here. And he brought Paul and Silas out. And the testimony of their life, the joy he had seen earlier, as well as the prompting of God, led the Philippian jailer and his whole family to come to faith in Christ. Paul is one who who did what he's telling us to do here. And as we go through life, there are going to be times of blessing. But there are also going to be times of tragedy and heartache and hardship. And in those times, you know, if you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what's, on inside, what's inside comes out when the pressure is applied to your life. And in those times where life squeezes us, what Paul is saying is if we're filled with the Spirit, what comes out are the fruits of the Spirit. This is why Paul and Silas could sing songs as they sat in prison. It's why Jesus Christ, who when he gathered with the disciples in the upper room, remember he's just told the disciples, I'm about to die. 
We're going to go. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be put on trial. And then I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. A horrible, wretched death to pay for the penalties of the sins of the world. And as Christ is, is telling all these things, do you remember what he did with the disciples before they headed to the garden to be arrested? He said they sang a song. Christ, who was fully man and had all the fears and the anxieties of the world, was also fully God. And he, he led his followers in a song of praise. And this is what God wants us to have. That filling of his spirit, that empowering, that peace of God that passes all understanding. So no matter what you're facing in this world, you will be able to have the peace and joy of the Lord. So we go to the Lord and close in prayer now. I want you to think about your life again and what's filling you. Have you been filled by the Holy Spirit? Have you come to faith in Christ in the first place? Or are you somebody who's been trying to go through life all on your own? And rather than even having uh, a limited filling, your, your, your cup is empty. In fact, it's filled with trash and all the things of the world. And what God says is, if you'll come to faith in me, I'll remove those things and I'll fill it with my spirit. Others of us here have come to faith in Christ. And we've, we've had that initial filling but we're struggling in our walk with the Lord and we're weak because we haven't allowed God to continually fill us. And I want us to go to the Lord now and ask him for his power and provision to fill our lives. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord God, there may be somebody here today who's not yet come to faith in your son. And Lord, we ask that this would be the day of salvation for them. That this might be the moment where they realize, I need God in my life. I've been trying to do it on my own, and, and I can't. And God, I can't get to you because I know your word says that we can never be good enough. And I failed and I've sinned. But I thank you, God, that you loved me. You loved me so much that you went to the cross and you died in my place to pay that penalty of death for my sins. And today, Lord God, I'm turning from my sin to your son, Jesus, to be my savior. I'm inviting him into my life to be the Lord of my life, to take his proper place on the throne, to be the one in control of my life who leads and guides me. I thank you, Lord, as I come to faith in you, as I become a part of your family, you give me your spirit. Holy Spirit, you filled me. And I pray that I would yield to you. I would let you be the one who controls me. Father, some of us here have belonged to you for a long time. We've walked with you, but We've, we've uh, blocked your filling in our life. We've not had the things, um, we've let the things of the world crowd out the things of the Spirit. And today, Lord, we confess those things and we turn to you anew. We ask, Lord, for your empowerment, your filling, that we would get out of the way and we would allow you to do your perfect work in our lives. Lord, as those who are filled by you, may our lives reflect you as that peace and joy that you give to us will permeate our lives and spill out as the light for others to see. Lord, we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.